Well, Big Dog Radio, we have a surprise. A bonus episode. I know a bonus episode. Not a typical day that we post Not our episode. But we had an interesting conversation with Larry Osterhound. And Larry Osterhout. Osterhout. Larry, Larry Osterhout is uh I think the way he put it, the only remaining cartridge vision expert known that remains. Yeah. So Larry is very knowledgeable on cartridge vision as well as roller coasters, but we were unaware that he was knowledgeable on roller coasters coming into this interview. So it was pretty interesting to to kind of hear about both roller coasters and the cartridge. But the main part of this was the cartridge vision. And what a cartridge vision is, it's like a old type of VHS. It's the first VHS. Um, and that so they would put tapes in these and, and they'd watch movies. However, what makes cartridge vision rather special is cartridge vision only existed for one year. So from 1972 to 1973, it was sold and then it went downhill from there. So there are very few of these cartridge visions that exist anymore. And as far as we're concerned, Larry has the only working one, correct? Uh, he didn't mention that there are other working ones in oh, I might have missed the interview, that. but um, yeah, there are very few working ones and then there are very few cartridge visions that are intact. So I, I think we just play the interview now. Here's Larry in the cartridge vision. All right, Larry, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. So to begin, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a electronics engineer, and uh, I also do uh, structural engineering for wooden roller coasters, you know, and uh, you can see it back there. In the yeah, background. I can see you got the cyclone racer in the back there. Yeah, from the Long Beach Pike. We're trying to get that thing uh, rebuilt at Long Beach, uh, but it's a hard sell with those guys because they don't let me explain it to them fully. But anyways, <laughs> we want to talk about sure. car division, not right. the roller coaster. So. <laughs> yeah, so so you have a pretty unique and cool inter- interest in car division, I hear. And um, yeah, I so, uh, I first got mine in uh, 1975. Okay, cool. So what got us like even first hearing about car division? I was helping my my dad clean out a, a place a house and um we found two cartridge visions in this place and we had no clue anything about them or what they were and my dad had posted a picture of the, these and all of a sudden everybody was going crazy like they're like these are rare items and we had no clue about about these so that, that kind of got us interested in just what cartridge vision is so i guess First, could you just explain to us what a cartridge vision is? Yeah, I could do that. But let me ask first, these two you found, were they were they built into the television set or were they a freestanding unit like this one is? They were built into the television set, both oh, of them. Oh, that's, that's really rare if you got that. You know what brands they were? Um, I do not recall. But I, I know that um, they had posted, uh, they made an article on these or this one that was posted on eBay, the, the one unit was posted on eBay. And um, there was an article that, that was, was posted. Those... That yes. Was yes. Packard that's Bell the brand. One. Yep. Yeah, as a matter mm. of fact, let's see. I think I got a picture of that one right here. This yep, is the that's the exact Bell one. one. Right mm-hmm. And this one has the tape storage on this side of the uh, cabinet where this side was the uh, recorder. Okay. And Melville, you but had two every of single them. one of them. Every single one of them that they did, 
there was five uh, manufacturers that opted to have those put in their television sets in the 1972 line. And that was Admiral, Emerson, Montgomery Ward, Teledyne Packard Bell, and Sears. And okay. uh, the, the, the three, the Admiral, Emerson, and Wards had the stereo version. These recorders here are capable of playing pre-recorded tapes that are designated stereo, back in stereo, if you got the stereo set up in your TV set. But they also had jacks on the back that you could hook it up to your hi-fi if you elected to do that. But, but the more desirable set to have is one of those three I told you that has the stereo setup already built into it from the factory. And I believe Admiral made all three of those brands down the same assembly line. The thing I don't know is who made the Teledyne Packer Bell or the Sears one. The, chass the television chassis are definitely different than mm -hmm. the others. So, I mean, I really don't know who, who was manufacturing that. It could have been Admiral too and just running a different chassis down the line, but it's kind of hard to say. Sure. So, Larry, these were manufactured for a very short period of time. In your estimation, why did the Cartravision flop? Well, the main reason that caused it to flop was they had a, a stroke of bad luck. The, the tape they used inside the cartridges were, uh, was Fuji brand. And apparently the bonding material that bonds the oxide to the mylar failed when they had it stored in warehouses back in Georgia where the humidity was real high. They okay. literally had every single tape go bad on them all at once. Right when the sales started to pick up on these things and they started selling these around June of 72. So they were only in the 72 line. So what happened was the sales were picking up in the fall and then all of a sudden there's no software. So nobody's gonna mm -hmm. buy a $1,600 unit without any tapes. And they had to scramble to to get the tapes back. I think they said they lost $10 million with an inventory on pre-recorded wow. tapes and blank tapes. Anything was the, that was their media they were, they were playing it on was bad. They all went bad all at once, the whole warehouse full. So the only tapes that were really left to be watched were the tapes that people already owned then? Well, yeah, because if, if you if you didn't have one of the tapes that was stored in the high humidity that was that was in Georgia, where the warehouse was, I don't know why they were stockpiling back there, because the factory was right out here in uh, San Jose, Palo Alto, California, or Rialto, California. They, I'm not Rialto, Palo Alto, California is where they were at. Mm -hmm. And uh, but yet they had the tapes back over there on the East Coast for some reason. But if you bought the ones that weren't in that warehouse, apparently those were all right. So I've heard or this article that I was reading about Cartrivision. It talked about how the Cartrivision set itself is very, it, it gets hurt by humidity, like you were saying. So did I hear right that you do have a working Cartrivision? This one works. That one right there? Yeah. Is that the only one that like you're aware of? that works oh, because no, there's I other ones work out there. Okay. There are other ones. No, I mean, they're, they're a bit temperamental because there's times that, that they don't want to play the tape exactly right. I mean, 
I mean, they got to be warmed up pretty good first for them to, to track right and everything. But this one does work. I mean, you put it on play here. It picks the tape up out of the out of the cartridge there. And the servo motor that's spinning here locks on. And it'll play over there on the TV. Now, I don't know. Now, this one here right now, it's not, it's got like a tracking issue right now. But it is, it is playing it. Okay. That's cool. That and then old. that tape is 50 years old. So, so these tapes, when, when people would get them, they'd be mailed to them and they had no way of either stopping or rewinding or that's the rental one. If you got a red one, these are the, these are the movies that were rentals. Okay. The rental movies are one way play. Now that wasn't Carter vision's request. That was the movie studio. They had to put that feature into the cassette for the movie studios. I mean, oh, so Cartrivision themselves. Say you can play it as many times as you want, which right. they ended up doing with VHS and Betamax. But back then, the studio wouldn't let them do it. So, Larry, why do you think that old technology that fails, uh, such as a Cartrivision or Polaroid, come back into popularity? I mean, popularity is people buying it on eBay? Right, yeah. Like, like there's this almost infatuation with uh especially i mean because we talked about on our podcast before the polaroid and how like digital cameras are such an upgrade to polaroid but now it's trendy for people to buy polaroids and use that opposed to digital cameras why do you think that is i don't know i just think they they want a piece of the past is 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 what they want okay. i mean it's, it's like a relic you know you got something from the past that is really cool because you had one of these back then. I mean, like I said, I look back when I was a kid and I didn't even know that when they were out in 72, I didn't even know they were available. I mean, I didn't find mm -hmm. out about it until they went belly up. And, you know, being an electronics engineer, I uh, was on Olson's electronics mailing list. And Olson Electronics, of many, a few others, were selling these things when they had to liquidate at the factory. I mean, there's a lot of places went in there and bought a lot of stuff, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff, uh, transports, complete units, uh, parts, tapes, alignment fixtures and tools. It went, it, it got divided up between several places that was bidding on it. And the only way I knew about it was Olson Electronics had the ad, they had a full page ad. I mean, it's on Steve. Steve has it on his website. You know who Steve is? He's the one that yep. hooked me up with you guys. Yeah. He's got it on his Facebook page. I looked at that and I go, hey, that would be so cool to record the stuff off the television. But the big catch is that they didn't tell you. They were sold as is. So it was kind of a roll of the dice if you got a good one or not. As a matter of fact, my first one was a bad one. And I had to go... I had to find out through talking to the main warehouse at Inglewood that I said, hey, what's with these things? I mean, just pay 300 bucks and it, and it doesn't work at all. I mean, it smoked mm. because it was one probably yanked out of a television set. And what they ended up doing was they had at the, at the main office in Inglewood compared to the satellite offices, they had brand new ones from the factory guaranteed to work. So that's why I bought one. And that's, that's this one here that, that works. So you had to get a good one. And then on top of that, 
you had to know what you were doing because there was no antenna hookup on these. You got to mm -hmm. hook it inside the electronics in the middle of your video processing and audio processing circuitry right. in your TV. So you had to build an interface module that goes between the car division and the television set to, to uh, match the levels and play and record. And you had to so do that yourself. Yeah, it wasn't for everybody. I mean, obviously, if they had the video in and out jacks like the TVs do now, uh, obviously, they've eliminated what the HDMI stuff, but the, the ones back a few years, that you could just plug it into. You wouldn't need any interface. But the old TVs, there was only an antenna connection. These, these weren't uh, RF sensitive. Sure. They didn't have so, the RF system on there. Okay, that's that's some cool piece of history. And still talking about like the history of Cartrivision, there's this, I'm sure you've heard of like the Lost and Found, the, the documentary made about the there was the lost tape of the 1973 nba championship game oh yeah are you familiar with the story do you do you mind kind of elaborating on that story what yeah i know that about story? that thing uh yeah they they took that tape and actually they sent it to my friend first to have him do it and he's up there in oregon okay, okay. they sent it to him first and he transferred it but they didn't like the way it came out. And obviously the tape has had deteriorated by the time that second place that wanted it, that did it, where the tape was sticking and all that stuff and he had to clean it off with the alcohol. Uh, and that's how he got it fixed. So he got lucky there because a lot of times when these tapes get messed up like that, there's not much you can do with them. Sure. So the, the story is that there was no like tape available that everybody wanted to see this NBA championship game. And then they like revamped the tape that was broken. Is, is, do I have the story correct there? No, it wasn't broken. It was, it had, it had sticky stuff on it where the tape was probably starting to come apart, like the warehouse stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it wouldn't play right on the machine. And I don't even think he had a machine. He had to dig up one of these machines, but what's funny was he never got in contact with me. Because I'm the renowned, remaining renowned expert on these things. I mean, he if he would have if he would have talked to me, he would have had a lot of less sweat coming off his uh, forehead than the way he was doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, because you got to know stuff about these things to make them work right. It's a little bit of a trick to get them to play right. You got to they're temperamental, and right. I don't know how they played that well with the the public, where every week you got to call the service guy out to fix it. I mean, a lot of the problems with, like I say, it's the tapes causing most of the problem. I mean, Car Division really blew it by selecting that brand of tape because what I did, I was having problems with the Car Division tape too. And I went down and bought Sony reel-to-reel -reel videotape. Mm -hmm. And I reloaded the cassettes with Sony and it works great with Sony tape. If you got Sony tape in there, it works great. But if you're using the car division stuff, there's problems with it. A lot of dropouts, heads getting clogged, it gets stuck. All kinds of stuff happened with the car division tape. Yeah. So they, re they really blew, that was a bad decision on their part to choose that, that Fuji tape that they were using in that thing that it doesn't have any uh, protective backing on it. It's pure mylar on the backside that doesn't touch the heads. 
And mm -hmm. that has a, has a tendency to not make it pass over the tape guide smoothly, which makes it lose tracking and stuff. Sony's got a nice flat black coating on there. I'm not sure what the material is, but it makes it flow across the tape guides very smooth. And the deck works flawless if you're using Sony tape on it. So Sorry. the big mistake was the tape. That's okay. what killed it right there. Yeah. And that was a uh, unrecoverable mistake that they made right there. So you said you're the remaining expert on the car division. How often do you get inquiries? Uh, either people asking not very you... often because I'm not advertising really that I I uh, know a lot about it. That obviously Steve knows me, and I've helped him make a, a few purchases on stuff wisely on what to buy and what not to buy. But mm -hmm. but you know I've been working on these things since 1975, so I've kept mine going, and uh, I've had a few over here from some of the big guys you see on the internet, like, like the lab guy, I've had his over here. I transferred some tapes for him. Sometimes I get people want tape transfer, but you got to be careful when you ship these tapes, because since they're so old, about 50 years, if you don't have them in a, in a uh, magnetically field protected box, you can get them erased by just running them through the mail. The really? x-rays machines and stuff <laughs> that the post office runs the mail through can't erase them. We had that happen on one. A guy had the newlywed game, and he wanted me to transfer it over on DVD. And I had to tube my machine up because when these things set for a while, the rubber gets hard. Like, I mean, for a few years, the rubber gets hard. You got to renew all the rubber before it'll play right and clean everything, lube it up. And I got it all working. It took me several days. And I go put his tape in there. And I said, hey, man, your tape's blank. I said, what'd you do? So I sent it back east for somebody to transfer first. I said, oh, man, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Got erased. So he lost out. <laughs> he was really bummed. Well, I believe it. Was it. A 1973 episode of the, of the newlywed <laughs> game. <laughs> of the newlywed game. Wow. Mm -hmm. so, so to kind of paint a picture for our listeners, we're looking at we'll, – we'll probably post a little video too, but right. we're looking at you with your cartridge vision and a big – track behind you, Could you kind coaster, of talk yeah. yeah roller coaster could you talk about that a little bit i'm interested the roller coaster i thought that yeah. might intrigue you well yeah. that roller coaster by today's even modern standards will probably draw more uh customers than any roller coaster that you could even build no matter what it's made out of it just happens to be that design of this particular one it's a two track so it races it was in okay. long beach over the water from 1930 until 1968. And it probably is, is the literal peak of technology for that type of coaster back then. I mean, it wasn't until they got into the steel ones that they started doing these acrobats, which I don't particularly care for. Some people do, so that's their taste, that's fine. But this one here is mainly comprised of turns and hills and you got 17 hills, you got two tracks, you got 3,700 feet of track on each side. It races with five to six lead changes throughout the course. And it's about, it's just a tad under two minutes, a few seconds under two minutes for the whole ride. It's not a 15 second special like these new ones are. And mm. what happened was when that got torn down, the city of Long Beach wanted to change their image, which is a big mistake because they're image has never been as good 
as it was back then that it is now. I mean, they're looking in the Queen Mary as their premier attraction, but it kind of sank on them because the hull is rusting and it's taking on water and they're in dire straits over there. And mm -hmm. I proposed it to them once, but I wasn't quite as ready for it as I am now because everything wasn't quite done. But what had to be done, this took 25 years to get the blueprints of this thing. And what okay. I had to wow. do was reverse engineer it from photographs. Oh, and wow. photographs don't come easy. It took right. it took probably 15 to 20 years to get the necessary photographs I needed to get every inch of it right. And, and mm -hmm. now I've got the whole blueprints for the whole thing uh, all on AutoCAD. It's in 3D. You can build it exactly like it was with every detail imaginable, including the original trains, which you definitely need for it to work right. If you didn't have that, mm -hmm you'd be dead. There's even another story on how I happened to get the original train when they were assumed to be bulldozed in 68. I don't know if you guys want to hear that one or not, but that kind <laughs> well, of like sums up what, what the project was. And I built that model from my blueprints. It's 115 scale. And what I did was I would print everything out the exact scale size and then divide by 15 to cut all the wood to the, the right size. And that okay. took two years to build that model. I believe it. So this is very interesting to me because I'm actually studying civil engineer or civil and structural engineering right now. So just seeing that structure kind of makes me happy and excited. But um, one question I did have with those carts, you, you said like they race and they lead change. Is it always the same result or is it based on like no, the mass it has that to do with the, it. it has to do with the what the one the, if you run them exactly empty one side is a little faster by about one second than the other side. And that just happens to be because the way it came out with, you know, you got to keep reversing the, the sides by crossing it over to get it back mm -hmm. to make, to give it the same distance. And it just happens to be the last time around, they couldn't cross it over. So, but it crosses over twice and uh, it's the weight you put into it because okay. when you got more weight in it, it gives it more momentum to plow through the the normal friction that it's seen up and down the hills. It gives it more momentum, and, and you can literally overtake the other train if you got more weight in it. So it's literally the weight that determines it. So are you really going to push to bring this back to Long Beach? I'm pushing on it pretty hard. I mean, I did the feasibility that they they voted back in uh, twenty. It was twenty thirteen. The city council voted uh, seven to one for a feasibility study. Okay. And we ran it through the feasibility study. I did the business performer on it and everything. I've got everything figured out, how much the project costs and everything like that. And it's more than just the roller coaster on the bring back. I've got 14 other spectacular rides and it all is on a pier. There's nothing on land. It's all on the pier over the ocean. And the pier is part of the project too that has to be built out there along shoreline park so it was all ran through the the city council back then but the problem was just like anything when you're in any uh uh government organization of cities or whatever the person with power wins mm -hmm. and right. i don't know what was going on behind the, the scenes over there between people talking but when council approves something management is supposed to carry through with it but in this case, 
somebody was whispering in management's ear, as far as I know, to sabotage it. And they sabotaged the, the uh, business performance. So I'm still trying to recover from that because once they sabotage it, they write it off and they say, nope, it's not feasible. What well, is feasible? It just is. They sabotage the numbers on there. Very dirty trick, considering <laughs> yeah. I got all this time I put into it mm -hmm. for 25 years. I mean, that really ticked me off. And I'm not mentioning any names who did it, but I know exactly mm -hmm. there's three people over there. I know exactly who did it. But the problem is, is trying to get past that because council's supposed to get whatever they want and management follows. And in this case, they didn't do that. So now they're kind of getting bad karma because now since they passed this up, they're Queen Mary's thinking. So, yeah. you know, they need a Well, problem. Larry, I'm, I'm on board with simple. the Cyclone Racer. It's a plain and simple formula here. They need a blockbuster attraction to bring tourists into that city. And it's mm -hmm. not the Queen Mary. They think it is, but it's not. This is. This, oh, yeah. I'd come ride that. I guarantee you right now that this ride will be more popular than the best ride at Disneyland. I absolutely guarantee it. And, it's, and it has to be the right. All the ingredients have to be there. It has to be on the pier. It has to be original. It has to have the original trains. It has to have all that stuff. And if it does, it will be popular than the most popular ride at Disneyland. Absolutely guaranteed. I guarantee that. And that's what's kind of like kept me going on it because you got to have motivation to do stuff, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. or we may have to come see if we can't come crack some skulls and get this done. What would you say the chances are as of right now that, that uh, the cyclone racer makes a comeback, you know, just if you had to spitball 50%, 60%. Well, you see, see, I, I know how things work, and, and, and this is why I did it this way, because, you know, I belong to a, a, uh, a coaster uh, group that has meetings weekly on defunct coasters, okay? And you've you got the roller coaster engineer in there. There's, a, there's one company in there that he's in there. That guy's really cool. I mean, I like him a lot because he's so knowledgeable. But he told me something, and I figured it was right. And he said, nowadays, when a park or any investor invests in something, they want it right now. Not, you can't say, oh, give me about $5 million and we'll have this ready, the blueprints, in 10 years. That way ain't going to sell. So I knew that the rule of the game here, I had to just take a shot at it and say, okay, I got to have every single blueprint ready to go. We could literally start driving nails today before you can approach an investor. And, and, and this guy, this coaster guy told me, they want their coaster so fast when these parks invest in it, they're pouring foundations for the bents. And he hasn't even got the bent drawings yet done on AutoCAD, he's still working on them. <laughs> so this thing required a lot of TLC that you would only get with time. And, and obviously it required massive amounts of iteration to get it accurate i mean you got to realize what i'm doing here guys right i'm taking pictures and extrapolating the design data out of it without no measurements it's a feat that i feel that nobody has ever done before especially on this scale mm -hmm. and and you have to have everything right and what would piss you off is you get it going and maybe you got a few years of design on there and a new picture comes along and you realize 
oh, I got to move this over six inches. And then that moves this and that moves that. And then you spend a whole nother year fixing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I went through several of those iterations until I finally got it mathematically perfect. And it's exactly the way it is. Like if I give you expect for the trains, they're exact because we got the real train. All the measurements came off the train by me. And that's an interesting story too. Cause when I found out a guy had the train, it was accident that he had one car and he happened to have the right one. He didn't have a front car. He didn't have a back car. He had one of the middle three. And that's the one you need to figure all the rest of them out. And he could have got the front car or the back car. And then I wouldn't have been able to do it. He happened to get the right one. Well, he, he saw it in a junkyard eight years after they destroyed the ride. And he went back down there and he looked at it. And he said, ah, he was a collector for a museum. And he said, ah, I don't want it because... It's too heavy and I can't put it in my museum very easily. So he said, I'll just leave them there. All the trains were sitting in the Gardena dump. All of them. So really? here's, here's the moment of faith that happened for me and to bring it back. Because the whole secret to how that ride performs, and it performs incredible than anything else out there, is in those trains. If you don't have those trains, you're done. You might as well quit. And I knew that back when I was starting early on. I started it. I was about a year in. I said, you know, we need the car. And just a stroke of luck, a door opened up. I went to a meeting with the, the historical society of Long Beach, and there was a gentleman there. He said he had the car. I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, yeah. <laughs> and, and what ended up happening was the moment of fate is when he handed that junkyard guy his business card. He handed it mm -hmm. to him, and the junkyard guy said, all right. Because the guy thought it would stay there forever and it would never get destroyed. But he was wrong. Because literally a year later, 1977 now, a year later, he goes to that, he gets a call and the junk man says, hey, you still interested in that car? And he go, the guy goes, why? He said, well, we just destroyed them all but two. Oh. And he goes, you're kidding. He goes, I want one. I'm coming right down. So he found somebody in a frantic with a pickup truck. And he went down there and they Put it on there with a forklift and he paid 20 bucks for it and that's how he got the car but if he didn't do that back in 1977 you wouldn't be able to figure this out because that is the key component right there but the car like i told you it's plus minus zero it's right on the money i have a go to the historical society where they had it on display because it wasn't on display at first it took them a while to display it and i went to the historical society Three days a week. And I didn't even ask them. I just went there because I figured I asked them, they're going to say no. I would just go in there and sit in their, their display window from 10 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon, three days a week for six months. And I would draw every part of that car with all my tools, major it and draw it all up. And I get it all drawn. Then I would come back on Tuesday, Thursday, and the weekend and enter it on AutoCAD. Then I'd print mm -hmm. it out, take it back down there again and keep getting it right until you got to make an adjustment. Maybe you're off a 16th of an inch or something like that. And that went on for six months. But there was one piece that I couldn't take off, which was the most important part of the whole thing. It's the wheels. And mm -hmm. that guy that owned that car was very protective of it. And it literally took me to get this guy to trust me. It took me seven years 
of doing favors for him. He, one day he wanted his cassette deck fixed. It was a cassette deck and record player. And since I worked at Quasar Panasonic, I said, hey, give me that thing. I can fix it. And that's what did it. I fixed that for him. And he says, I'm going to let you take the wheel off. So I took the wheel off and the bearings and I took them back to my shop. I measured everything with precision digital calipers, put it all on AutoCAD, took his wheel back and put it on. And that's how I got the wheel. And that took seven years from the time I spotted the car. Now, see, if you wow. got investors, they're not going to wait for that. But now they don't have to wait because I got it all done. Mm -hmm. And for the wow, structure. Wow, sounds like you're, you're ready. You're ready right. for the and investor. For the structure now, the structure accuracy, looking straight down on it. If you're looking at the plan view where every one of these, where there's a leg here coming up, plus minus zero. I could guarantee that from what it All was. All spot on. And vertical, most of it is plus minus zero. Maybe in the fringe areas, it might be a quarter foot high or low, but that ain't going to affect it. But mm -hmm. it's mathematically spot on no matter what. It has all the mathematics backing it. So it's ready to go. I mean, this thing here, you could run 1,600 people through it minimum an hour because you got two tracks. So oh, wow. there's going to be a lot of money. I mean, I mean, uh, the amount of crowd that this is going to attract at first will be over the top. I mean, it'll mm -hmm. probably take a full year. I guarantee you it'll run full capacity for at least the first year. Yeah, you'll be open ten hours, twelve hours a day, and you have to turn people back. For sure, you know. And, well, Larry, and it's an amazing ride. And what makes it fun is all the hills. Mm -hmm. That's what makes a roller coaster I can see fun. That. This one's got seventeen of them. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, we're supporting that. I I hope to see the Cyclone Racer in my lifetime. I would definitely go visit and check it out. And Larry, we appreciate you taking taking up some time of your day to to come talk to us. I thought I was just going to be learning about Cartrivision, but I got so much more knowledge on, on the roller coaster. I'm glad I did. I know both. So what the heck, right? Yeah. Right. For <laughs> sure. For sure. Well, we're going to get the most coming on. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks for joining us, Larry. All, All right. right. Take care, Larry. Bye-bye.